0: Today's story is about the relationship between Jesus and one of his followers named Peter. Peter denied knowing Jesus before the crucifixion, and what do you do after losing a friend like Jesus? Well, Peter goes fishing, and this is the first time that Peter and Jesus see one another after the resurrection, so picture yourself on an all-night camping trip, and you're just waking up for breakfast, and now listen for what happens between Jesus and Peter from John chapter 21, beginning at verse 9. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come! and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Now this was the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. May God bless this reading to our understanding. There's a Thai restaurant out in South Kansas City that I don't even like to drive past. I don't really know what the name of the restaurant is, but I call it that Thai place where we almost broke up. Dave and I have been married for 29 years, and we dated for four years before we got married, and about halfway through our courtship, we met at that Thai place for dinner, and that's where the big talk happened. That's where we both said some hard things. Was this relationship going to move forward, or was this relationship going to end right there in the Thai place as we sipped hot tea and shared some Thai noodles? I get a sick feeling just thinking about this restaurant. It makes me so uncomfortable. Sometimes I drive out of my way when heading south to not drive past it, because when I get near it, I can still Feel the tears on my cheeks and feel the knot in my stomach. The almost broke up restaurant reminds me that relationships are fragile. Relationships require hard work, relationships force us to look at ourselves with painfully honest reflection. And I wonder if that is how the biblical character Peter felt that morning when he rowed his fishing boat to shore and noticed a charcoal fire on the beach. I wonder for Peter if the charcoal fire gave him the same icky feelings that the Thai restaurant gives to me. Today's scripture tells us that Peter had gone fishing. Now, Peter was a fisherman long before Jesus found him and called him to come, follow me, to come, be a disciple, to come and fish for people instead. But now Jesus has been crucified. He is gone and Peter has gone back to his old life of fishing. And Peter and his fishing buddies are approaching the shore after a wasted night of fishing, not yet catching one thing, when Peter notices a charcoal fire there on the beach. And there's a man standing near the charcoal fire in dawn's first light. Surely the charcoal fire made Peter feel that pit in his stomach because it was at a charcoal fire where Peter stood warming his hands not that many days ago when he himself denied ever having known Jesus. Jesus was in the process of being arrested and taken to the cross, and Peter was surrounded by the plumes of smoke from the charcoal fire when he betrayed Jesus, the one he had promised to love and give his whole life to. How could Peter have betrayed Jesus like that? How could Peter have turned his back on his dear friend Jesus? How could Peter have been so wrong? The Gospels, if you read them in their entirety, they describe a rather tumultuous relationship between Jesus and Peter. Now, on the one hand, Peter is the one disciple who really seems to get it. He seems to get who Jesus is when no one else does. Instead of seeing Jesus as a a great teacher or maybe as a special prophet, Peter is the one who claims Jesus is the Son of God Though saying something like that out loud could have gotten Peter stoned to death on the spot. Well, in recognition of Peter's keen spiritual insight, Jesus promises Peter the keys to the kingdom. But Jesus also gives Peter a hard time. In fact, one commentator said Peter, of all the other disciples, is the one Jesus actually gives hell to. When Peter refuses to accept that Jesus is, is promising that this path of God, this following to God, this faithfulness to God can involve suffering and te- death, and Peter says, no, 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 don't say that, Jesus. Jesus rebukes Peter saying, get behind me, Satan. I mean, have you ever said that to a friend? Get behind me, Satan. I mean, you don't say that. But that's what Jesus said to Peter. And when Peter takes his sword out and lops off the ear of a soldier who's trying to arrest Jesus, Peter is again scolded by Jesus, who says, Peter, put your sword back in the sheath. Peter confesses undying loyalty to Jesus. And then, by a charcoal fire, Peter denies Jesus three times, and the rooster crows And Peter goes out weeping and sorrowful for all the ways that he has failed to live up to his promise to be a friend to Jesus. We can only imagine the guilt and the shame that Peter felt that morning coming in from the all-night fishing trip as he smells and sees the charcoal fire on the beach. How can he dare face this Jesus he has denied and abandoned, how can he live with himself knowing he has utterly failed? Desmond Tutu writes in his book of Forgiving about the difficulty that we human beings sometimes experience with forgiveness of our own lives, forgiveness of ourselves. He tells about the time that he was on a two-day journey across his native South Africa driving his kids someplace, and they had already driven 10 hours. And the next day, they had another 15-hour drive ahead of them, and he stopped to visit with his father. His father said to him, we need to have a talk, a father-son talk. Can we talk tonight? And Desmond Tutu said to his dad, oh, dad, I'm exhausted. I have a terrible headache. Let's talk in the morning. That night, his father died. And Desmond Tutu spent years feeling guilty and wondering what his father might have said if they had been able to have that final talk. Maybe they would have mended some of the pain that still existed between them since childhood. Maybe he would have been able to celebrate his dad's wit and wisdom and the beauty of their relationship. Tutu writes, there is so much he still needed to forgive his father for, and now he also needed to forgive himself. How do we begin to forgive ourselves for the failures that we inevitably make because, after all, we're just human beings? How do we forgive ourselves for snapping at our kids and letting the anger fly when we desperately wish we could take those words and put them back into our mouths? How do we forgive ourselves for doing something that hurt a friend years ago? How do we forgive ourselves for making a mistake on the job that had big consequences? How do we forgive ourselves as a community for being part of a system that helps the rich get richer and keeps the poor getting poor? In the scripture lesson that we read this morning, Peter, who has denied Jesus, along with the other disciples who have also abandoned Jesus, come ashore. To get out of their fishing boat, they drag their fishing nets onto the sand, and they see this mysterious figure standing over the charcoal fire, and someone says, is that? Could it be? What? Do you, is that Jesus? You see, they both know and do not know who this man is standing by the charcoal fire, but then the man says to them, come and have breakfast, and then they know. It's Jesus. And he took bread and he gave it to them, and there is no doubt in their mind who he is. And at that moment, how do you think Peter felt? Guilty? Ashamed? Embarrassed? Desperate? Afraid? Wouldn't it be great if Jesus would say, Okay, time for the apology. Or wouldn't it be great if Peter would just fall down on his feet and say, Oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. No, none of that happens in this story. What happens is Jesus breaks the bread and passes it to them and puts some more fish on the grill. And then, after breakfast, Jesus turns to Peter, Do you love me? Peter says, well, yes, I, I, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. And then Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, oh, yes, I love you. And Jesus says, tend my sheep. And a third time, Peter is asked by Jesus, do you love me? And now Peter must be exasperated. He says, of course I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. How do we forgive ourselves? How is it in our own lives that forgiveness begins to unfold in real life? I love what Anne Lamont says about her long struggle to build a healthier relationship with her mother. She says that she spends a lot of time trying to pick up the mosaic chips of forgiveness and place them together into a new life between them. Desmond Tutu writes that forgiveness is not about glossing over the harm we have done. Rather, it is about honestly remembering what we have done to hurt another. It requires absolute truth. It requires facing our feelings. It requires humility and hard work. And then finally, it involves taking the risk to step into a new and unknown territory. The healing that unfolds with forgiveness Happens in community when we begin to feel compassion for one another and compassion for ourselves. So, for Peter in this story, forgiveness does not happen in isolation. It does not happen at midnight when he is up alone on the boat keeping watch. It does not happen when he is on a private walk on the beach. Rather, for Peter, forgiveness happens in community, in relationship, over breakfast, with bread and fish, looking at one another eye to eye. That is when Peter turns his life around. That is when Peter finally leaves his fishing nets and becomes the rock upon which the church is built. Peter aligns his life with the life and the mission of Jesus so much so that Peter himself will eventually be crucified for his faith. Peter is transformed and forever changed. We, as human beings, do not heal in isolation. We heal in community over breakfast. Professor Miroslav Volf has written a lot about forgiveness, and I always trust what he says about forgiveness because he grew up in war-torn Yugoslavia and saw firsthand the ravages of war. And he says that for Christians, forgiveness cannot be neatly divided into forgiveness of self, forgiveness of others, and forgiveness between us and God. Rather, for Christians, forgiveness is always a triangle. It involves the wrongdoer, the wronged, and God. Our forgiveness in human life echoes the grand and glorious forgiveness of God, and it changes us. It does not leave us, it changes us. Now, I realized while writing this that it's really difficult to put into words what seems like it's a very abstract experience that takes place in the heart. What can feel very private, this idea of self-forgiveness. But we can glimpse what happens in a human life as the result of personal forgiveness, of self-forgiveness. For instance, in the 1960s in Great Britain, there was a guy named John Profumo who served as the Secretary of War. While in that cabinet-level position, John began an affair with a 19-year-old woman who had previously been involved with a Soviet diplomat. A recent journal describes how the British government warned John Profumo that this relationship with this particular woman was jeopardizing his role as Secretary of War. They called him, Parliament called him, to testify, and he lied about the relationship, and he was forced to resign in disgrace. But what happened in John Profumo's life next was even more of a surprise because not only was he able to salvage his marriage and build a long and lasting marriage with his wife, he began to volunteer at a settlement house in East London, doing menial work at first as a volunteer. And then he began helping them raise funds. And he became involved in trying to create justice, bringing together the rich and the poor together to work for harmony in the city. And he served there for 30 years. And much later in his life, Margaret Thatcher honored him for his work in all of London, and called him a national hero. Now, John never spoke publicly about what had happened. He never capitalized on his experience. He never tried to court favor or play the role of a public martyr. Instead, he spent decades serving the least of these and finding deep and abiding joy as a public servant. All we can see from a distance is that he lived a transformed life. No matter where we are in life, God works through human beings, through community, to restore us both to ourselves and to God. And so Jesus asks Peter over breakfast, do you love me? But before Jesus asks that question or anything else, Jesus first says, come, come, me to breakfast. One can almost imagine that morning, Peter coming onto the shoreline, watching the charcoal fire smoke, recognizing the contours of Jesus' face in the early morning dawn. And because it is dawn, one can almost imagine hearing a rooster crow in the distance, this time not announcing an act of betrayal, but announcing a new life, and a new day. The hope for us to forgive ourselves comes in relationships with the people around us, in relationship with the God who created us and who never, ever, ever gives up on us. Forgiveness finally comes, not as something that can be forced, it comes as a gift from heaven. And as long as we remain in relationship, we can express our longing for human forgiveness, we can search for it, we can remain open to it with other human strugglers on the journey. And I love this story, which describes for me this very longing that we all have for forgiveness, for wholeness, and for new life. This is the kind of longing and new life that comes to us over a meal, like a lunch or breakfast. It comes from Ernest Hemingway's short story called The Capital of the World. In the short story, Ernest Hemingway describes how the city of Madrid, Spain, is full of boys named Paco. In Madrid, there is a joke that a father came to Madrid and took out an advertisement in the national newspaper. The ad read, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana, Noon Tuesday, all is forgiven, Papa. On Tuesday at noon, the police had to be called to the streets in front of the hotel to clear away the vast crowds because 800 men named Paco showed up to answer that ad.